Hey friends, welcome to the Family House Message of the Week podcast. This is Pastor Jason, lead pastor at Family House Fellowship in Cedar Park, Texas. At Family House, we are a family of faith growing towards wholeness in Jesus Christ, heart, mind, and strength, and helping others towards that same wholeness, impacting not only this generation, but future generations. We would love for you to check out more about us on our website. It's familyhousecp.org. Also, you can follow us on social media in all the places, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We are at FamilyHouseCP. And also, if you wouldn't mind, the best way to continue to see these podcast episodes when they drop is to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform that you love to get your podcasts. And uh, if you wouldn't mind, rate and leave a review. It helps other people find this Message of the Week podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Happy New Year. Thanks. Good to see you all. Glad you're here today. I mentioned earlier that the New Year is sort of a natural time to evaluate where we are and what direction we want to head. Right? There are things that have happened in our 2023s that we would rather leave in 2023. And frankly, there's some things that we probably brought from our 2022 into our 2023 that we've now decided we don't want in 2024. Right? There are lots of things that, that go on in a 365-day period. Some of those are really, really good, and some of those are not so good. And we have an opportunity, as we flip the page on a new year, to do something different. Right, David and I have been joking this past week about the phrase, new year, new you. It comes up everywhere. It shows up, right? It's in every uh, weight loss commercial. Um, you know, every, every gym in America is trying to get you to sign up and show up. Actually, they don't care if you show up. They just want you to sign up, right? The, the gym is the, the commercial gym is like the, the biggest like racket on the planet because they just want you to sign up and forget you pay it and then never show up again because then they don't have to actually serve you. They just get to use your money for nothing. And, and so this new year, new you is this mantra that we do because we're like, you know, I want to be the best version of myself. And that's not a bad thing. There's nothing bad about wanting to be the best version of yourself except when we don't allow God to inform the best version of ourselves. In early December, I mentioned earlier in early December, I was standing on the corner of New Hope and Lake Line, crossing middle schoolers in the morning before school, and I had some time on my hands because I was between kids because there's this one boy who's, he must really love school, because he's right there, ready to cross and get to school early. And then there's a handful of other students that just sort of straggle. So I usually have about 10 minutes between students. So I'm just standing there on the street corner and I'm praying, because, I mean, really, what else is there to do? I'm just staring at traffic. And so I'm spending some time just praying, and I'm like, 
you know, obviously with my eyes open, right? I don't want to be scared by a student who's coming up to cross over or like not pay attention and get, you know, hit by a, somebody on a bike or a skateboard. So, so, and you can, I mean, I don't know if this is news to you, but you can pray with your eyes open. It's totally legal. And so I'm praying and I'm just praying, Lord, what do you want? What do you want for this place? What do you want for this neighborhood? What do you want for this city? What do you want for my life? And it just in my mind's eye, I just heard Saul. I don't know what, what word best resonates with you, but like this phrase became very prominent. And it was, well, first it was definition. The word definition. And I'm like, oh, wow, is that my word for 2024? So I just said, Lord, what, what, do you, what do you mean? What do you mean by definition? What do you want me to know about that word? And, and then I just, I, the phrase season of definition became clear. So as I'm praying, continuing to pray from then until now, I'm like, the Lord is continually giving me more information. Like, this is what I want you to focus on. This is what I want you to know. And so today we're going to start um, we're going to start talking about a season of definition. And I don't know how long we're going to be talking about a season of definition. I don't really want to call it a series because I don't know how long it's going to go. And from the very beginning of Family House, I have said that I only want to say what I know that the Lord is saying. I don't want to come up here and just talk about off my agenda, I want to talk off of his agenda, which is the reason why I try to spend as much time as I can in the word and in prayer and in hearing from him. Um, and, and this is really just a large deposit of information that the Lord just keeps expanding on it and, and, and informing more. So what does it mean to be in a season of definition? What is the Lord saying? And, and this is important for all of us. It's not just for me as a pastor. It's important for all of us. We, we need to be hearing from the Lord and understanding what He is actually wanting for us. One of the, one of the most important things that we can understand as believers is what season we're in. It's a huge mistake when we are operating in one season, but we're actually in another. Think about that for a minute. Gina and I spent last weekend in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, she'll probably tell you that I kidnapped her and made her go to the cold. It's not the case. Um, so don't call the cops. I didn't make her go. Um, it was her idea, actually, but... She was trying to talk herself out of it from the moment she made the decision. So we were in, we were in Minneapolis, and it was not as cold as I was expecting. Um, it was in the 30s, but honestly, it was in the 30s this morning here. Um, it was in the 20s at night, and it did snow while we were there. So we did get to see snow, which was pretty cool. Um, and it got me thinking, right? If, you, if you're talking about seasons... Right? We, we know the natural seasons of the year, right? We, 
we're in winter right now. We're going to eventually, it's going to thaw. We're, we're, we'll be thawed most of the time, but here in Texas, but it's going to thaw. We're going to go into spring. Everything's going to renew. We're going to start to see buds on trees and we're going to see flowers again. And we're going to see all those things that we see in the spring. And then summer's going to come and we're all going to complain about how hot it is. And then we're going to get into fall and it's really still summer. And then eventually we get fall for like three days and then it's winter again. Right? Those are the seasons that we come to recognize. Seasons in our life are similar to that. It got me thinking, what would it be like for a farmer in Minnesota to tomorrow wake up in the morning and go, well, I'm going to plant some seed today. Makes no sense, does it? It would make no sense for a farmer in Minnesota to go out and try to plant seed tomorrow. Why? The ground is frozen. It's dead. Plus, I don't think any of his equipment would actually turn the soil up at this moment, right? It's too hard. It doesn't make sense to sow seed in the winter. Unless you're, you know, maybe maybe burying tulip bulbs or something that you know is, gonna, is solid and going to make it. But you know you're not going to get that result that you're looking for until the spring anyway, right? It makes no sense to sow seed in the winter expecting that something's going to grow. That is the, the, the ridiculous nature of living in one season. Like, perceptually, we're living in one season. We perceive that we're living in one season I can say all that I want right now, that it is spring, but it is not, right? I can go through my life going, it's spring, and I could, I actually think my son Peyton has done this at times in his life. There were times in his life where he refused to wear long pants, didn't matter what season it was. He'd get up for school, he'd put on shorts. I'm like, son, it's 40 degrees outside, don't care, okay. It is ridiculous to continue to believe we're in one season when we're actually in another. So what season are we in? We're in a season of definition. What is a season of definition? One, it is a season where God gets to set the terms. God gets to set the terms. Here's, here's a, here's a uh, teaser for the, rest of the, for the rest of your life. You're never out of a season when God doesn't get to set the terms. But when we're in a season of definition, specifically God's going, hey, if, if you want to get out of this season of definition, what is most important, then I need to set the terms. I have to. I have to set the terms. God wants to define some terms in us. He wants to be the one to inform what things, what things are and what they are not. What things are important and what things are unimportant. He wants to define who we, who we will become. Do you allow God to define who you are. I think this is a question that the culture is wrestling with. 
Everyone wants to define themselves. I am this. I am that. And God's over here in the corner going, does anybody care what I think? But I think it's important to understand, like, it's not asking God's opinion. Because God actually doesn't have opinions. Like we have opinions. God has truth. God is truth. So all He has is truth. God doesn't have an opinion. He has truth. We have opinions. But most of the time, our opinions are not truth. And you can say, well, I know the, I know the truth. If you know the truth, and it's actually truth, then you know God. But if you don't know God, and you say, I know the truth, you actually have no idea what the truth looks like. All truth belongs to God. It's His. Let me be real pastoral for a moment. The cultural phrase, well, I have my truth. Right? I'm sure you've heard people say that. Well, that's my truth. I don't have my truth. and You have your truth. There's only one truth. And it belongs to God. He gets to decide what the truth is. And so when I'm living my life, going, I wake up tomorrow and decide I'm going to be a cat. God's going, no, you're not. Well, God, I want to be a cat. Okay, go be a cat. But that's not who you are. That's not the truth. Because the truth says, you're a dude. You're not a cat. I made you a human being. I don't have my truth and you don't have your truth. All truth belongs to God. Why? Why does God get to set the terms? God gets to set the terms because He's the maker of heaven and earth. He created us in His image. Genesis 1, 26-27 says, God spoke, let us make human beings in our image. Make them reflecting our nature so that they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself, and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. God created human beings. He created them godlike. Reflecting God's nature, He created them male and female. He's the, he's the creator, the maker of heaven and earth. He's the one who actually dreamed of us. It's the reason why He gets to set the terms. I can go into an art museum, and I can look at a piece of art, and I can interpret it, but unless I know the artist, I don't know the actual meaning. God made us. He gets to decide who we are. Second reason. Jesus, who is God, is described by the New American Standard Bible as the author and the perfecter of our faith. 
I love the way the Passion Bible describes this. We look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this, because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing what you would be, that you would be his. He endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. God gets to set the terms because Jesus lived a life. He, he imagined and created the life of faith lived it out on earth as we have lived it out, except better. And so he gets to set the terms, right? I talked about during our communion time how God did both sides of the covenant. He held up his end of the bargain and he came himself as a man who was also God who held up our end of the bargain. God did all the work for us to be here. He gets to set the terms. And Jesus authored our very lives. The Apostle John calls him the Word made flesh. Moses, who wrote the creation account in Genesis, says it was by the mouth of the vo or the voice of God that all creation came to be. That is, Jesus was the person of the Trinity which created, which creation was formed out of. Jesus lived the lives that we were meant to live. He came as a man, set aside his full divinity to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill the covenant God made with mankind. The Passion Bible goes on to say this in Hebrews 12, in that Hebrews 12 passage that calls Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith. He says, Paul says, so consider carefully how Jesus faced such intense opposition from sinners who oppose their own souls so that you won't become worn down and cave in under life's pressures. After all, you have not yet reached the point of sweating blood in your opposition to sin. Right? Any of us sweating blood over our sin yet? And have you forgotten His encouraging words spoken to you as His children? He said, my child, don't underestimate the value of the discipline and the training of the Lord God. Or get depressed when he has corrected you. For the Lord's training of your life is the evidence of his faithful love. And when he draws you to himself, it proves you are his delightful child. Fully embrace God's correction as part of your training, for he is doing what any loving father does for his children. For who has ever heard of a child who never had to be corrected? For all, we all should welcome God's discipline as the validation of authentic sonship. For, we, for if we have never once endured His correction, it only proves we are strangers, not sons. God gets to define the terms because He loves us. And sometimes we, we hit our heads up against the wall of His correction. And it's Him trying to define us. Right? He's, he's trying to set the terms. And we're going, no, 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 no. And then we go, God, why are you punishing me? And God's going, I'm not punishing you. I'm loving you. God gets to set the terms. 
We will we'll dig into that more as we walk through this in the weeks to come. But the second thing that God shared with me in what it means to be in a season of definition is this. God wants to use this season to define our spiritual muscles. Right? It's like toning. Right? When I'm working out, I'm trying to tone my muscles because there's a lot of flesh on this body that needs some toning. I'm just going to tell you. Okay? And when we're, when we're toning muscle, when we're making muscle stronger, it's defining that muscle. That muscle gets more defined. We have spiritual muscles. We have spiritual muscles. There are things God created in us spiritually that we don't use enough. And God's going, this is a season where I want to help you define those muscles. Because in a, in a, in a next season, you're going to need those muscles. And I would rather them hurt now than hurt then. Right? Because that's how working muscles operate, right? We work out, you're literally tearing that muscle so that it will heal and become stronger. Some muscles in this season are going to get tested in order for us to grow strength in areas so that later, when they're needed, it won't hurt. God doesn't move in isolation. If you read the Bible at all, you'll quickly learn that everything God does has a purpose. Look at the account of Joseph in Genesis 37, from 37 to 50. Joseph faces hardship and he experiences um, amazing blessing at the same time. Right? His brothers sell him into slavery. They wanted to kill him but they talk themselves out of it. They sell him into slavery, and he ends up in, in a, an Egyptian official's home where he actually becomes elevated. God elevates his position, and he's actually the right hand of the, of the, of the man of the house. And then he gets tested because the official's wife has a crush on him, and she tries to seduce him. And he's like, why would I do this? Why would I sin against myself and God and my master? And in this classic story, the official's wife comes to him a final time and is just like persistent. And Joseph does the thing that every Christian man, boy has ever been taught in Christian purity culture, which is, if you have to leave your clothes and run, if you have to run right out of your coat, you do it. You just get out of there, right? And that's what he did. He ran out of his cloak. He basically, his cloak was his outer garment, which is covering his undergarment. So he, run, he ran out of the house and left his, basically left the shirt off his back and is running out of the house in his underpants. So Joseph faced a lot of trials, but he also saw the blessing of God because he, after that he ends up in prison because she accused him of raping her. So he's in prison for no reason. And then 
he ends up out and in Pharaoh's court because he can interpret, God gave him the, the ability to interpret dreams. And he ends up in Pharaoh's court and he ends up becoming the, the most um, powerful man in Egypt at a time when there was about to be famine. God used Joseph to save his people. But Joseph needed to be in Egypt in order to do that. And God used all of those horrible circumstances of Joseph's life in order to get him, in, to position him into that one place. Did Joseph know what to do in control of Egypt's grain supply when he was being sold into slavery? No. But did the circumstances of his life get him to a place where he understood what, not, not how to do something in the natural realm, but what God actually wanted him to do? The things that he learned were not just natural gifts and, and talents. The thing that he learned was how to listen to God in the midst of his trial. God desires to open us up to future seasons of ministry to people around us by walking with us in seasons of preparation or as He is calling ours, a season of definition. If we choose not to press into what God wants to build in us in this current season, we will be ill-equipped for the season that comes next. Let me say that again. If we choose not to press in to what God wants to build in us in this current season, we will be ill-equipped for the season that comes next. God always gives us a choice. The start of this new year is a choice for us. Will we press in to a season of definition that God desires for us where He sets the terms and He gets to define who we are? and what the priorities are, and what muscles get built? Will we allow Him to give us the set list? What do I mean by set list? Every time I go into the, gym, go into the garage to work out, the app on my phone gives me a set list. It's the list of exercises, the number of, of reps I'm supposed to do, and the number of sets I'm supposed to do of each exercise. I have a choice every single time I go into the garage to work out. I can, either, I can do... If I want, I can go in there. I know what's best for me. I know me best. I know what I need today. So I'm going to go in there. I'm just going to do, uh, you know, uh, four reps, one set of four reps, uh, 10 pounds on shoulder press today. It's fine. Is that going to work the muscle that I need worked in the way that needs worked? No, because the app says I need to do three sets of 35 pounds Eight reps, each set. I'm not going to get what is intended to get if I shortchange the process every single time. So how do we press into a season of definition? First, I just want you to know, we're going to keep digging into this. It's, it's a progressive thing. It's not a, you walk out, you walking out of here today with everything you need for a season of definition. It's not that way. We're going to keep building on it. We need, but first, we need to consecrate ourselves. What does that mean, consecrate ourselves? 
every time the Lord would call somebody into, into a role, into a season, into a, into a thing, they would be consecrated. He said, consecrate yourselves. Clean yourselves. Prepare yourself. Consecration for us is as easy as saying, yes, Lord, I'm yours. In the Bible, when people were set apart to God's purpose in their lives, they were anointed for it. Prophets, priests, kings, all anointed with oil, set apart for His purpose. Jesus made us prophets, priests, and kings. We're now a part of the family. We're we're royalty. He also made us priests. We don't have we don't need a priest to come bef- to, to, to intercede anymore. We're priests. And, and he opened the door to prophecy for all of us because we have the Holy Spirit living in our lives. Last thing we're gonna do today, we're gonna do an anointing. You don't have to do it. You can consecrate yourself, prepare yourself without it. But I just want to invite you into it today. This is what this looks like. There's nothing, first I want to say, there's nothing magical about it. It's not magical. There's no magical powers. I have my little, my little vial of anointing oil. There's nothing, there's nothing magical in here. It's just oil. It's olive oil that smells like pomegranates. I'm going to invite you to come up and I'm just going to take a little drop of oil out of the vial and I'm going to put it on your forehead in the shape of a cross. It's just a symbol that we're saying yes to the thing God wants to do in this season. Whatever it is, it might be different for all of us. We're, 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 we're here together every weekend. So we're we're a community that is in a season of definition and God's going to define that but for each of us he's going to define what this season is individually the anointing is simply saying yes I'm available define me